Hello everyone, welcome back to this latest Top Sales Roundtable. I'm Jonathan Farrington. I'm the CEO and founder of JF Initiatives, which of course includes Top Sales World, Top Sales Magazine, Top Sales Futurist, and the about-to-be-launched Top Sales eLibrary. And I'm also Director of Research over at Sandler Research Centre. Before I discuss today's topic and introduce you to the panellists, may I just take this opportunity to share a few thoughts with you? Look, these are certainly and clearly challenging times for all of us. And leaving aside the enormous anxiety over health issues for our loved ones, friends and colleagues, there are also commercial issues. I actually go back a long way in economic history and I can confirm that whilst downturns are inevitable, so are the upturns that follow them. It never, ever rains forever. The smart organisations don't downsize and then when the sun comes out again, have to recruit new teams, train them and wait for them to start producing. At a cost I heard the other day of probably for a strategic frontline sales professional, $250,000. What they actually do is use this time wisely by consolidating skills, commercial bandwidth, knowledge, etc. So that when the financial tide turns, they're fully prepared to capitalize, unlike their competitors who are still looking for their starting blocks. And another way to think about this finally is to imagine that you're a world-class athlete you know that there's a global championship coming up. You just don't know when. So you absolutely must maintain peak fitness to ensure that you're fully prepared. Okay, let's get down to business. Today's roundtable is sales leadership, the coaching imperative. And if you haven't seen the preview, we said, even if salespeople have undergone progressive sales training, there's no guarantee that they will be successful. It's common knowledge that skills grow rusty over time, and salespeople are prone to pick up bad habits along the way or to simply skip steps and take shortcuts that can lead to long-term trouble. Perhaps even more important these days is the fact that markets, competition, technologies, and customer preferences are all in a constant and accelerating state of change. This fact requires that salespeople are able and willing to rethink their sales strategy and approach and must do it frequently and receive a regular top-up of skills and motivational coaching. Sadly, of all the skills and traits required to become a successful sales manager, one who is able to maintain their team performing at optimum levels, coaching is the one that's often lacking. Now, I'm confident that our expert panel are eminently qualified to debate and discuss this extremely hot topic. So let's get, to introduce, let's get them to introduce themselves in alphabetical order. David, please. Hi, I'm Dave Matson, CEO of Sandler. Um, we provide world-class content, tools, and research to any customer-facing individual who generates revenue. Um, from a macro perspective, you know we're experts in sales and sales leadership. Won tons of awards for you know best sales training, best management, uh, coaching, things of that nature. We've got 265 offices around the world and been doing this for over 50 years. Excellent. And welcome back, by the way, David. Thank you. Thank you. Keith. Yes, JF. <laughs> you may introduce yourself. Oh, why, thank you so much. Uh, Keith Rosen, CEO of Profit Builders, uh, have had the pleasure of coaching, I think my marketing director just said, we're up to hitting about 3 million people, uh, making an impact globally on uh, 75 countries on six continents. 
working with salespeople and sales leaders on helping them transform from manager to world-class coach so they can develop champions. And uh, have had the pleasure of working with uh, hundreds of thousands of salespeople and managers over the years and just trying to honor my core values of making an impact one person at a time. Thank you very much, Keith. And, and, and thank you also for joining us. I know you're having a tough time there in New York. So we're, we're very grateful. Uh, Linda Maxwell, would you introduce yourself, please? I will. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm Linda Maxwell. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Business Efficacy. Uh, Business Efficacy is a consulting practice that specializes in enabling sales managers with tools, development, uh, processes to, in essence, help them more effectively drive execution of the sales behaviors that really matter most for improved results quickly. Uh, my passion is all about sales execution, but sales execution achieved from what sales managers can do to make it happen. So we're always looking for new and different ways to help sales managers add more value, make a bigger impact, um, make a bigger difference so that more salespeople can perform it at higher levels. Uh, past 25 years at Business Efficacy, I've been leading the development and delivery of all the different kinds of solutions and services that we have for sales managers, have personally trained thousands of sales managers, coached hundreds of sales leaders in different industries, different size organizations, and different levels um, within those organizations. So appreciate the opportunity to be here and exchange ideas. Thank you very much, Linda, and a special welcome to your first round table. I hope we will... Uh... Join us for future ones. Thank you. And last but certainly not least, Lisa, please introduce yourself. Well, thank you, Jonathan, and, and so delighted to be here. So I'm Lisa Wickelman. I'm a partner at Business Efficacy with Linda. I spent several years on the front line myself as a sales manager and have lived the what I refer to as the unfortunate reality. Uh, that I'm so passionate now about trying to resolve. And, and that reality is sales managers not being equipped with the unique skills and processes to lead managers and coach salespeople. And this is very different than doing so with any other group of employees outside of sales. I also have the privilege of having worked as a sales trainer, sales coach, sales management consultant, and that's where I spend most of my time currently. Uh, most recently, before joining Linda at Business Efficacy, I spent seven years with the world's leading sales management training company, which provided me the opportunity to be an active contributor in the global movement around sales management as a key strategy for increasing salesperson performance. And then before that, spent 15 years working on sales and service culture transformation in the banking industry where I was with the world's leading sales training company in banking. It's a pleasure to be here, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to have you. And I can only repeat what I said to Linda. Um, welcome to your first round table. May it, be the first of, may it be the first of many. So here we all are. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to change the running order as I'm prone to do very occasionally. And I'm going to begin with you, Linda. I'm going to toss out a for you what will what will obviously be an easy question to answer uh, as the main topic of our debate today is sales coaching how would you describe sales coaching and and what would you say sales coaching isn't 
<laughs> uh, great, great question. Uh, so when I, when I think about sales coaching, there's so many different definitions as to what it is and, and what it isn't. As we've tried to, in essence, kind of simplify what is it sales managers need to do, we've look at we've looked at breaking it apart and really saying there's three different objectives that managers need to be accomplishing with their people. Um, one of those is about inspiring and motivating your people. So really getting them focused on what they need to accomplish and being excited about that. So that's one piece. Um, another piece is making sure that people know what they're supposed to do. So in other words, what's the focus? What are the behaviors they need to do? What are the measures of success? So that becomes a second component that really needs to be accomplished with each and every one of their people. And then the third piece is development. So those people need to be uh, supported and helped to get better with the skills, the knowledge that are necessary in order to be successful. So what we've been looking at, Jonathan, is, is really helping people understand the outcome of what it is. Because right now people use the word sales leadership, sales management, sales coaching in so many different ways. We've started talking about it from an outcome perspective. What is it you're supposed to make happen? What is the value you're supposed to deliver to the salesperson themselves? And so that's how we've been looking at it. So what it isn't, it isn't just one of those three. What it is, it's really when you're doing all three of the things I just described and getting the outcomes that you're looking for. We're finding sure. that helping people get more clarity around the, what they need to do. Sure, sure. I don't want to throw you a curveball, but I, I, I'd be delighted to understand your answer to this. What's your definition of a sales leader as opposed to a sales manager? Um, another, another great question. Um, we really, uh, when we try and separate the difference, what we really do is, is we say that whatever level you're at, you in essence have to be able to do all three. Um, because our finding, Jonathan, that too many people just look at it in silos. So if people only look at the sales leader as the one who inspires and motivates and sets the um, vision, they're missing the other two pieces. Or if they only say, here's what we need to do and then inspect and hold people accountable, they're missing the other two pieces. Or if they look at sales coaching as just developing their people. So we really uh, continue to encourage people to say, you need to be all three, which does pose a challenge because people tend to lean to sales manager or sales leader or sales coach. And we think they're so tight intertwined in order to deliver the outcome, there really isn't a unique title yet that works for it. So we're, yeah. we're struggling we like to invent a new title, but we haven't found it yet. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. Um, it's my belief, by the way, that about 80% um, of sales managers are sales managers and only 20% are genuine leaders. Um, and I may be being kind. David, if I can bring you in, please. Um, what would you add to Linda's definition of what is coaching and what isn't coaching? I think coaching is help, if we're talking about sales coaching now, is to really help my salespeople become self-sufficient, to connect the dots so in real time they have agility. Um, it's not necessarily saying, and this is what you do, this when you tell people what to do, which is certainly not coaching. Um, under pressure, people revert back to what they're accustomed to doing. So I think if we can have self-awareness, help them connect the dots, think on their own when you're not there, I think that would be a, a good goal of a sales coach.
Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Keith, uh, this is your favourite topic, and we're all going to count how much, how many times you say the word coaching today. Um, I've had a private bet with Jax, and I've got it down to about 17,000, um, which is good news. <laughs> so I've got to I'm going to break you. that record today. I'm going for, I'm breaking <laughs> that record, Jonathan. Good man, good man. You never let me down. Now, oh, I, who, who am I to do that to you? <laughs> what would you add to, to, to Linda and David's comments, Keith? Yeah, sales coaching um, or coaching in particular, and, and I, the same definition for sales, sales is the art of creating new possibilities. Uh, if you look at coaching, coaching is the art of creating new possibilities in every conversation. Either you're building people and you're building trust or you're eroding them and you're eroding trust. So what erodes that trust is what coaching isn't. Telling is dead. Being the chief problem solver is dead. But because coaching is never part of the manager's KPI or scorecards or commitments from a point of not only doing it, but measuring quality, then it will never become a priority, which is why then companies run around wondering why they're getting no ROI from their sales training. So managers need to stop telling and start coaching, and I'll say that in a different way. If you have time to give an answer, you have time to ask a question. So it's, it's, it's filling in that gap, and of course, uh, filling the ultimate gap, of course, is filling uh, managers and giving them the, the skills and the tools and the framework to be able to do so. Sure, sure. Okay, thank you. Lisa, you'll probably want to add to everything that's been said, I'm sure. Well, thank you, Jonathan, and I do. I tend to take a very um, practical where the rubber meets the road approach to such things, and, and my definition is, is, is pretty, pretty simple. It's collaboratively helping your salespeople to execute on the high-impact activities that matter most. Now, there's a lot of work that comes in behind the scenes there, and how do you figure out what are the high-impact activities, how do you collaborate, and those all have that they all include the essence of what David, Keith, and Linda have, have mentioned, but that's how I would kind of crystallize it if I was talking to a first-line sales manager. Yeah, okay. All right, I'm going to go back the other way around. David, I've got a question for you. Um, I, I did say at the front end when we, when we kicked off this recording that coaching is, in my view, the most essential skill a manager could have. And yet, it's probably the skill that is lacking most in most managers. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Yeah. And I is think. That, yeah. Sorry, David. I, may I just okay. add to that? Do you, do you agree with me? It's simply because if the manager has been lucky enough to, to, to have some training and some development when they take up the role, or preferably before, but we, we all know. Uh, certainly you and I know, David, that just doesn't happen. Is there something lacking there that they're not being coached to coach, which is why the standard and the quality of coaching is so abysmal? Yeah, I mean, in, even from our own research, right, we know that, you know, a little less than half come into their role without any previous experience. And once they're there, we know that more than half don't get the necessary, you know, skills training. So I'm coming in and I'm really observing what has happened to me. I'm doing the best that I can. 
And so I'm really replicating what was done to me. And, and I think we all can agree on the phone that that's not really, they, they weren't coached themselves. So therefore, they're not probably a good coach either. Now, and I'm generalizing, obviously. But so what do we do? Well, we try, we go back to problem solver, we go back to answering questions. I love Keith's phrase, right? If you have time to answer a question, or uh, if you have time to answer, you have time to ask a question. Love that phrase. I think it's true. Every time I talk to people about coaching, they say, yeah, it's, it's great, Dave, um, but it's a time suck. And I think it's really misunderstood. Um, so I do think that, yeah, they didn't see it. So it's perpetuated 100%. I don't think that once they're there, their leadership sits down and says, here's how you coach. Here's why it's important to you for, to coach. It's just not to check the box. And so I think it takes them time, unfortunately, to go through the road of hard knocks to figure out that coaching is probably the most important thing that I need to do. Even though the supervisory portion of my management job is important, it's not the most important part. And I think it takes time for them to get there. And unfortunately, there's a lot of pain along the way for both themselves and employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sadly, that is the case. Linda, um, have you got a view? Why do you think? Um, well, first of all, can I ask you a question? Does business business efficacy? Of course. <laughs> does business efficacy coach coaches? Absolutely. Yes. Right. Okay. And you've been out there coaching coaches and talking to companies. Why do you think organizations seem so reticent to give sales managers, note I keep using the word manager and not leader, are so reticent to give sales managers the skills before the output is required? And this is something that we've talked on, talked about on previous um, roundtables, and I Keith and David will recall that. But I'd be very interested in your view. Okay. Well, a couple, couple of things jump, jump mind. Um, and first of all, I, I want to reinforce what David was just saying about coaching is misunderstood. Uh, when people are saying of time, they have this vision, there's standalone activity called coaching or a coaching conversation. And they really don't understand that every interaction that you have with a salesperson is a coaching opportunity. So I totally agree with David that some of the reasons that it's not done enough is that there's this huge misunderstanding of what it is and what it isn't and when do you do it and how long does it take so that's that's one item the the other item to answer your direct question jonathan is this this whole understanding about what makes a sales manager great so everybody on this call would probably agree that what organizations continue to do is they continue to take their highest performing salesperson move them into sales management without understanding really what the talents are that are required. And the assumption underneath that is that, well, because this salesperson was so good, they can obviously, quote, make others as good as them. And so there's this assumption that if you took your best salesperson and moved them into management, they're already equipped. So what we continue to see and is one of our challenges is the lack of belief at different levels within organizations that sales managers who were Formerly high-performing salespeople don't need training. They don't need development because they, quote, already everything that they need. So we're bumping up against that belief all the time, Jonathan. There is yeah. this perception that they already know everything they need to know. They just need to go do it. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we did actually, you're absolutely right, Linda. We, we, we deliberately discussed this on a previous roundtable, and we all came to the unanimous uh, decision 
that we need intervention from higher up the food chain. There's just a lack of realization, you know, what is precisely required for a frontline um, sales manager to be effective, totally effective. Here's a couple of numbers, interesting numbers for you, Lisa, and I suspect you'll tell me that you're not surprised. Organization, we, we discovered this from our research over at Sandler Research. Um, organizations that do coach well and their managers are capable of coaching have higher win rates, like plus 19%, and they have higher quota attainment, like plus 21.3%. Anything there that surprises you? That's for me, Jonathan, Lisa? Yeah, sorry, Lisa. Yeah, Lisa. no. Yeah, not, not surprising at all. And actually, I'd love to unpack that a little bit more. Um, there was some research done uh, just about two years ago on actually the the essence of the coaching. So there's a lot of different types of sales coaching that can be done and how those impacted quota attainment. So what was studied in this particular research project is, okay, first there's a bucket of capabilities coaching or call it skills coaching. And when organizations were focused and training and fixated on their managers doing capabilities or skills coaching, the correlation was a 2% impact on quota attainment with those particular sales managers. Mm -hmm. The second bucket was the type of coaching that is more outcomes or results oriented. And as you would expect, uh, there was a higher, higher correlation. That was a 10% impact on quota attainment from those managers who were focused on that type of, of a coaching conversation. And then the third is really what was so uh, remarkable, just the difference. So the third bucket, Jonathan, is activities coaching. And actually those high impact activities, as I mentioned in my definition, when managers were specifically coaching to activities and the activities that are the most important, 24% impact on quota attainment. Real, so there's no argument, coaching matters, but we'd even say co the type of coaching that you choose to participate in really makes a strategic difference. Yeah, okay. How important do you believe, um, and I'm coming on to you in a moment, Keith, because I notice in my chat box that you'd like to come in on this. How important, Lisa, is attitude coaching, the motivational element, keeping keeping the team working at you know, optimum motivational levels. Jonathan, I believe it's very important. There's, in my mind, there's there's um, two very distinct camps of coaching that are applicable for sales leaders. One is very specifically sales coaching, which is everything I've been talking about up to this point. The other bucket is table stakes, really, and that's performance coaching, general coaching. It's the stuff they're hopefully getting from their HR department and their learning and development teams, and it's the grow model and things of that nature. Those are really, really important. And the the attitude, the inspiration, all of that, I kind of put in, in my mind in that camp. Um, and those really are the foundational pieces that all managers need sales managers and everyone else who's in a managerial role sales managers need a little bit more though a bit more focused around specifically coaching sales people 
So I do yep. think it matters. Yeah, me too. Keith, come in, please. You mentioned about the importance of attitude coaching, Jeff, and this is where managers fail miserably. Uh, let's just start off the fact that 99% of all managers um, have no idea how to coach, uh, and let's include the ones that even think they're coaching, but they're not. Uh, the biggest miss for managers, I mean, managers, they could recognize a performance gap by looking at the data. That's not very difficult. Where they can't focus on is how do you recognize a motivational gap? How do you recognize it when it's a time management gap? How do you recognize when it's a life balance gap? How do you recognize when it's an assumption gap, a confidence gap, a fear gap? These are things that managers don't even coach to. Number one, they have no idea to how. And number two, it wouldn't even cross their mind because if they're not getting coached on it, which they all need, they would never even think that that is something that their people will need as well. And where they struggle with things like, how do you coach confidence? How do you coach fear? I mean, these, these would be highly impactful if I can help, especially today with such uncertainty out there. If I can coach my people on confidence and help eradicate assumptions, especially that now that my workforce is working remotely, and that's a whole other conversation, which by the way, we really need to touch on in this call, is, they have no idea how to do that because they're so used to being result-driven. I can coach you on the go-do. Here, go do this. But this is a go-be. How do you coach confidence? That's the, inter the inner game of leadership, the inner game of sales. There is no go-do there. And because managers are so result-driven, they're looking, okay, Keith, what do I have to do uh, to be more confident? Oh, there's the problem right there. This is a go-be. So, managers not only need to focus on a more specific model, like my framework, the leads framework, which is your sales leaders, but that's also going to give them the, the arsenal and the language and the process that they need to be able to coach on these things that especially now, when people are struggling with isolation and loneliness, communication now is more important than ever. And managers needing to put these things in front of their line of vision that people are struggling with this as well, that's something yeah. they need to work on. The, and one final thought on that is the irony of all this is that the paradox of managers are creating the very problems they're looking to avoid. And just building off what everyone has said is when you promote that salesperson uh, to manager and the assumption is made that they know how to manage, no, they're not a sell. So now all of a sudden yeah. they're just being a super seller for their teeth. They're not developing their people. So, and then yeah. that goes back to, okay, well, if I'm giving out answers all day, yeah, my people may love it, but they're also thinking, well, I guess my manager doesn't trust me. I guess they don't have faith in me. I guess they yeah. don't have confidence in me. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, as we've discussed, I mean, when you appoint a sales, a sales manager that was your best performing salesperson, you, you hamstring the company in, in two completely different ways. First of all, uh, you hamstring the sales team uh, because you've you've you know you've presented them with an incompetent, inexperienced, and unacceptable manager, and you've hamstrung the sales team by removing the best performer. I mean, it's quite ludicrous. Something I want to very quickly ask you, Keith, before I come on back to David: How important do you think emotional intelligence is for a frontline sales manager these days? I would say it's pivotal. Uh, and I, it, I always, uh, anytime I'm working with a team of leaders in a room, I would always ask, does anyone here know someone 
who doesn't have a high level of self-awareness. And of course, everyone just starts laughing because there's always that person in there. You know, yeah. IQ is one thing, but you're not being a great coach through IQ. You're being a great coach through that human connection. The greatest coaches don't coach from their head. They coach from their heart. That's how you connect with people. But, and that also bleeds into a lot of the challenges when you're dealing with a result-driven culture and everyone's being pulled in a million directions. It's very difficult for them to focus on what they need to, which is their people. And, you know, I was just looking at some other statistics, Jeff, and I know um, this is something we've talked about. Um, 2018, 2019, uh, average spend per employee on personal professional development the thousand dollars per person that averages out to about eighty dollars a month, yeah. and that doesn't even include what they're doing for their sales managers, which are which are the engine. You know, yeah. they're the engine and, and the fuel that's driving the sales organization. So it's uh, uh, it, it, it's 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 sad out there because this can be something that can be fixed so easily uh, when when companies can really realize that avalanches are rolling downhill and you cannot scale that dependency that managers create. Yep. Yep, totally agree. I think emotional in, intelligence is absolutely critical. And, you know, if we, if we accept, and I, if we all accept, and I, I hope that we do, that the sales manager's primary role is to keep the entire team, every single member of the team, performing at an optimum performance level. And unless you're looking after their individual motivation scales, I don't see how you can do that. I, I, I remember distinctly, you know, I could tell if I met somebody in the car park, what their motivational levels are at, just by looking at them, you can tell instantly, and then you know you've got work to do. <clears throat> Don't excuse me, David. Um, I think we should bring the um, debate up to date. You and I were talking earlier today about the current situation out there in the sales space, and I alluded to it at the front in my introduction. And clearly, these are challenging times. So, if you're a sales manager and um, you're used to sort of daily contact with your um, team. Now you're trying to manage them um, online. What, what can we do to try and maintain those optimum performance levels that I keep talking about? Well, I'm, I think we go back to what was said a minute ago. I always think there's three things. We call it the success triangle, attitude, behaviors, and techniques. I think it's going to be very easy for us in these times to go to the technique portion of it. Like, what can we do to move this over? What can we do to get their attention? How do we free, you know, release budget dollars from our prospects? The list goes on. But as a sales leader, I think we really have to pay attention to the attitude and behavior portion of it. Um, technique training is always short term. You're going to see a spike in productivity and then it goes down. What sustains that growth is the behaviors and the attitudes, because you could be great at technique, but if you're in a comfort zone or if you're afraid to do it, your attitude's not there, your mindset's not there, it's not going to much matter. Or if you've got both of those under control and you're not doing enough of them, then I think you're, you've got an issue as well. I can tell you what our sales leaders are doing now and many different things, but we're certainly, we're, we're touching base with our people and making sure that we're over communicating. You know, we're setting daily goals for them. Um, but we also are doing an awful lot of role playing now. And, you know, we're, I'm a big proponent of role play to begin with, but we're using this time um, to do a lot of role playing, doing a lot of um, playbooks, you know, like, you know, here's what's we're, here's what we're hearing as a team. How are we responding? And everybody's getting that playbook up to speed. 
to go back to Keith's point, the confidence and conviction that you can hear in their voice day after day is just amazing to listen to. I can't watch it, but I can certainly listen to it. And I think that comes across when you're talking to your buyers out there. People always want to be quietly led. And if our people are not feeling confident, they don't have the conviction, they're not going to be gently leading anyone at this point in time, meaning they're either their customers or prospective buyers, because they don't know what to do in this time of need as well. So I think those are some of the just quick things, but you know, there's, there's many other things I'm happy to share. Sure, sure. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's every reason to suspect that a sales team member, uh, frontline sales professionals who are not used to working from home, A, may struggle with all of the interruptions and distractions, and B, may struggle with their own motivational levels. And, and I think that's precisely why, you know, professional sales managers should stay even closer at this time than, than, they, than they were previously even. Hey, would you agree well, with I that? Sorry, 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 David, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think to your point, they haven't managed their time in this way. I mean, if you're working out of your home anyways, as you have, that this is, this is nothing new. But we've got our office time and down pat. We know exactly, you know, what we're doing when. It's a little different now, especially when you've got maybe other family members at home. It's even more of a distraction. So I think if you can help people with their time blocks, and also really get us on what I'm going to call a cookbook, which is, hey, what are we going to do every single day um, from a behavioral perspective in order for us to keep the momentum going and for us to be in a position when things change that we're going to be, you know, in that leadership position? Because I think people tend to be reactive and tasks always take the time that you allot, which is forever. But if you just say, these are the behaviors that I have to do every single day, and that's what the manager is managing to, and because as an employee, I also get a victory, right? So let's hypothetically say that one of my behavioral goals today is I'm going to do five LinkedIn referral letters. That doesn't mean I've sold anything, but if I've done it, I get to check the box. It's a victory. It's good for my head. My behaviors are right. And as a manager, I should be managing the things that my salespeople can control. They can't control the outcome, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree, David. Linda, if I can come on to you, I, I recently read an, um, a post that you wrote, uh, taking on today's unique sales management challenge, and you say that we are all new to the unique situation the coronavirus has put upon us. None of us can say we've been there and done that. Um, and you've got quite a lot to say on that point, and I know this is very top of mind to you, thinking about how professional sales managers can cope with what's going on. Do you want to share with us? Uh, yeah, thank you. And in, in actuality, I'm just going to build on some of the things that David was saying, because David, I'm in total agreement with everything that you said. I do find as we're working with our sales organizations right now is there's the, they, they know kind of what they're supposed to do as sales managers, but they don't necessarily have a clear picture of what that looks like. And there's some specific things I can share with you. So number one is they're not very familiar with what kind of expectations they should be setting or what those sound like or what those look like. David had some really great examples, but we're seeing that most sales managers are really caught off guard with what kind of new expectations do they need to set and how do they get people um, bought into those expectations. So that's a really big deal, the importance of resetting 
and clarifying and giving them those milestones to be able to say, okay, I accomplished what I could, what was in my control for the day. So that's one. Um, number two, and again, this is kind of building off what David was saying, is working virtually. Um, we're working with numerous clients right now where the sales managers don't even know necessarily the kinds of things that they need to be quote coaching their people to do differently given it's virtual. Everything from are they really equipped to do video-based sales? Are they equipped, are they customer ready when they're gonna be on a video-based call? Um, have they created a daily routine which has them in the best mindset and set up for the most amount of success for the day? Um, do they know what's different when they're selling over the phone or via video versus in person? So we're finding that a lot of sales managers um, aren't thinking about what are the things my people need to learn how to do better right now that would increase their productivity. So that's the second thing. And the third thing that I would add is that the managers are unaware of how they need to change their interactions with their people. Uh, what I mean by that is during these times, people need much more voice-to-voice check-ins than they do when things are good. And the conversations have to be getting at some of the things that were mentioned already in this call, which is how are people feeling? What are their beliefs? And then the manager has to be able to help them understand how what is being asked is the right thing, why it should work, and how they really do believe this individual can make a difference. So these are just some of the, the basic fundamentals that we're not seeing sales managers aware they need to do, and they don't know how to do it really well. So a lot of opportunity for, for help for them at this stage. I couldn't agree more. I, I, I really couldn't. They are desperate for, for help and guidance. Um, Lisa, anything you want to add on that point before I go back to Keith? Keith, I'm going to come back to you and ask about not go do, but go be, because I know you want to expand on that. Lisa. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. I want to hear Keith expand on that as well. I like that one. You know, the thing I would add on to Linda's, I'm, I'm in, you know, direct agreement with her on all of those is I think especially in times like these, it is so important for all of us, uh, especially those who have the uh, privilege of leading and um, caring for teams to be radically human and to admit that to your folks and to yourself that you don't have all the answers, um, but that you are committed to helping your team really think it through and to quiet, help quiet the noise for them. My goodness, there's so much noise going on. And help them really focus in on what are the critical few things that they really can impact and that they do have control over and that they can succeed on and, and add meaningful value each day to their customers and prospects. Those yeah. wins, like David referred to, give them some wins. And there really are some um, ones that are actually important parts of the sales cycle, too. So uh, they'll, they'll accomplish uh, multiple things at the same time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, thanks, Lisa. So, Keith, uh, you have the stage. Talk to us about not go do, but go be. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go a little deeper on this one, uh, and, and I would like to uh, make sure I make a couple of points around the, the this massive this massive uh, this exodus to to this remote workspace uh, because as you and I have talked about many times, one out of what one out of ten, one out of fifteen managers actually know how to manage. Well, compound that now with fifty eight percent of remote workers and about seven 
70% of remote managers have received no training on how to work remotely. So now you have a situation where the managers are not equipped on how to coach. You're now putting them in a situation where they're coaching a remote team and they don't even have the skills of how to coach remotely. And now to circle back to the go B, uh, managers, and there are so many levels of, of opportunity here that really need to be explored. Uh, one example of coaching a go B is take, take confidence, for example. Um, that now is probably more important than ever since uh, the work, workforce now, people are struggling with unplugging and loneliness and communication, all the things that everyone here clearly is, is, uh, is aligned with. And even I think uh, another study I saw about 37% of remote workers are, are struggling with that work-life balance. And that doesn't include just the salespeople and employees. That's the managers as well. And these go bees, this isn't just something that the managers need to coach their people on. They need to be coached on it as well, which goes into the peer-to-peer -peer coaching, which I'd like to talk about. But an example of coaching a go bee, take fear, take confidence. It's about asking people, okay, what's your relationship with confidence? What's your relationship with fear? What's your relationship with time? These are the inner games. Because until we understand how they interpret what fear is or confidence is, we can't coach them. The gap, the root cause of this is not going to be, okay, here's what you need to do. It's going to be, here's how you need to think. Here's the limiting belief that, that you've been harboring. Now let's take that. Let's throw that one out. And now let's replace it with a new belief. And people say, well, Keith, that sounds too easy. Well, why? Why can't it be that easy? Well, because I have to go do something. No, no, you don't. It's like changing the channel on television. You just shift your thinking around that. And to go deeper on this, when you look, especially now when you know, salespeople are selling remotely, so managers have to coach remotely, uh, and there's that such a level of trepidation and fear out there, uh, coaching confidence is, is, is more important and easily done by first uncovering what does definition of confidence mean to their people. And if you ask 99% of the planet, they will say, oh, the definition of confidence, it's all based on productivity. It's all based on my results. So if I'm achieving results, if I'm hitting my numbers, my confidence goes up. Conversely, if I'm not achieving results, if I'm not hitting my numbers, my confidence drops. This is a global definition and a global epidemic because it's a damaged definition. It is, it is working against us and it's broken. So coaching confidence is saying, okay, so that's your belief. How is it working now? Clearly it's not. We are allowing external situations to dictate our internal condition. We are surrendering our personal power to external situations. Oh, because I didn't achieve that. Therefore, oh, my confidence must be affected. Oh, my, I'm going to in increase my anxiety. One of my favorite quotes is by an Arabic philosopher, Hafez, which is, I am happy before I have a reason, which goes back to the definition of confidence. I am confident because I'm confident. And that's it. It's just a mindset. And of course, you know, initially when people hear it, they say, Keith, come on, it's not that easy. Well, no, it is. Because what if the definition of confidence is this? I'm confident because I'm confident without the evidence to prove it. And when I look at people in the eye and I say, listen, you have proven your self-worth, they really squirm and struggle with that. 
because their first reaction is, no, I haven't, because I have so much I have to do. That's distinct of who you are. And, okay. and this is a really critical topic managers need to be mindful of, because again, everyone is struggling with it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Excellent, thanks, Keith. Excuse me. <clears throat> I've been chatting a lot today. Uh, we're getting towards the witching hour, and as we always do, I'm going to ask all four of you, just, even if it's just one, but preferably three, no more than three, Coach Rosen, not your usual 12, um, tips that sales managers, stroke leaders can take away in these difficult times that are going to help them get through it. Um, so I'm going to come to you first, Linda, but first of all, I'm going to ask David a question, which I, I, I probably know what he's going to answer. We know that a typical organization that has been trading for more than two years probably attains 80% of its business from existing clients, okay? How important, David, do you believe it is to maintain really regular contact with all your best clients through this terrible period? Well, I mean, I think it's imperative, right? You're only doing one of two things as a professional salesperson. You're protecting and growing your relationships or you're plundering somebody else's. It's kind of simple. And, you know, if you do a good job, then you can figure out how to grow. I think you need, and I'm going to go back to that word, word cookbook. I think you need a frequency by which you're going to touch your clients, however you've classified them, whether it's ABs or Cs, however you've done it. And I think there's two ways to do it. Yes, these are my largest clients. And these also are the largest opportunities for me to grow within that particular client. And those may be two different names. But I think you should be looking for, hey, these are the ones we want to retain. And these are the ones that we want to expand. But I also wouldn't stop there, Jonathan. I would say now is a good time to also touch those in the my patch, whatever that may be, that I'd love to do business with as well. Because... You know, there's an awful lot of salespeople out there right now that are distracted, that may not be doing all of the right things that we're talking about as far as touching your, your most valuable clients. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I think um, it's probably a, a, a very good, um, it's timely for me to mention that the latest research that we've created uh, over at Sander Research Center, um, the hunt for new clients, the full report will be out very, very shortly, and I would urge all of the listeners to grab a copy and read. It really is going to help you through this period. Okay, Linda, how many uh, how many tips have you got for us? How many three. tips? Have <laughs> three. Well done. Good, good girl. Three. Go Okay, so um, again, I'm going to be focusing on sales managers, and given sales managers have to do something simple that they can execute today, that's where my three tips are coming from. Um, number one, I would encourage all sales managers to take the time to clarify execution expectations for each and every one of their people, because people need to know what's similar about what I'm supposed to do today versus what's different and what's the new measure of success. So they absolutely need to help clarify that one-on-one -on -one with each one of their people. Um, number two is people need support to execute in these crazy times. So they need to increase the frequency of the check-ins that they're doing with each of their people in voice-to-voice -voice interactions so that people feel supported, so that people don't feel alone in how they're supposed to be executing these expectations. And then third is people need encouragement. And a lot of that has to do with managers having a dialogue with them around why are the things they're being asked to do the right things and what's the proof 
that those are the best right things to be doing today. And lastly, is to express confidence um, with that individual that they absolutely can do it. So it's simple and they can do it today. And it doesn't require any additional skill. It just requires some, some focus at this point. Excellent, excellent, wise words. Lisa. Thank you, Jonathan. So uh, mine actually, I, I do have three, and they're more directed toward the, uh, the head of a, a business unit, head of sales or, or sales executives. And the first being, you kind of alluded to this one at the front, Jonathan, when you said no one left behind. A, a trend I've been seeing evolving globally over the past few years is measuring the success of your sales managers really based on the percent of their people they get across the line, percent of reps at quota. And, you know, versus the typical sales manager succeeds because they hit their overall team number, but darn it, they hit it on the backs of one or two high performers and they, they let the other six fail. So this directly involves better coaching to ensure that no one is left behind and you get more of your team across the line. So that's my first one. And that's obviously a strategic decision around how an organization rewards and incents their sales managers. Second is I'd ask sales executives to consider what formalized, structured sales management and sales coaching process they have in place. Do they even have one? And I don't just mean that they've run some training. Have they actually figured it out and crystallized what does our sales coaching, sales management, our habits, our routines, our machine, what does it look like ongoing every day in our company? Good health and habits in that respect. And then third, I, this is one of my favorite quotes I've carried with me for years. Um, I heard Neil Rackham, most people would know him as the author of Spin Selling and, uh, and really a legend in the sales training space, but I heard him speak at a keynote at a conference and, and he said, you know, the key to turning around a sales organization really is in your sales managers. And I agree with that now more than at any other time. These are the folks that are gonna make you or break you moving through this and, and in general. And what Neil Rackham had said is, you know, he was emphasizing the importance of investing them. And he said, you know, I would spend, I would invest $10 for every dollar spent in sales training. Spend $10 on your sales managers. And, and Lisa's additional add to that comment is, I don't think that means buying more shiny objects. I find a lot of execs really like to buy shiny objects. Tech, uh, tools, more training programs. It's it's often more fundamental than that, but um, we've said it numerous times on this call, you've got to invest in your sales managers. Yeah, I'd be very interested. Thanks, thanks Lisa, excellent point. I, I think um, it, it's quite extraordinary and we've used these numbers before as I'm sure Keith and David will remember that it's been projected, whether this is still the case now, of course, given the, the current circumstance. But around 45 billion was due to be spent on sales technology in 2020 and less than 4.5 billion on sales team development. And I can't even begin to imagine just how small the amount was, would, was going to you know, be invested in developing sales leaders, stroke managers. It's quite extraordinary. Keith, can we have your three, please? You said 13, right, Jonathan? No, no, I did not. Don't pretend you <laughs> heard me. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I, I, this is 
some fantastic wisdom uh, that's been shared here. And I want to build off what a few people said, especially what uh, Dave said about some really, really great ideas about what salespeople can do right now to get out there and make an impact and sell. And uh, bleeding into that, of course, is the managers. You know, um, if the salespeople are the sales engines, you know, the managers need that fuel to drive that engine, and that fuel is coaching. So, my things that I feel managers can do immediately, um, with what everyone said, there's one word that that managers need to be mindful of, and that's consistency. That is going to be the most important thing. People need to know that they can rely on their leader because they are consistent, both in action attitude, support, all of those things now more than ever when they can't see their leader face to face. The other thing, peer-to-peer coaching, even when we were working in a semi-normal world, but now with this, with this massive change in our, in our workforce, more than ever, managers need to be proactive and schedule peer-to-peer coaching. And I'm not talking about, hey, just checking, hey, Dave, what's up? Just checking in, how you doing? I'm talking about really, hey, I have a challenge. I have an issue. I'm feeling like I'm going through this by myself, man. Can you help me out? Or I'm having this goal. Can you coach me through this? Not only is it going to empower the manager and get some really great coaching, but that's going to transcend into the value that they're going to deliver to their team. But just like whether it's virtual or remote coaching or face-to-face, no coaching can be sustained without that peer-to-peer. And uh, one of the final things is um, observation managers don't make the assumption that just because your team is remote, you can no longer observe them. You can. You can observe them via video conferencing. You could observe them via a meeting during video conferencing. You could observe them uh, when they're delivering a presentation, whether it's, again, whether it's a webcast or on the phone. And if you're a, a global manager and you say, but Keith, uh, a lot of my salespeople speak a different language, well, then partner up with one of your peers who speak that language and have them do some uh, observation and feedback. You know, this, have, this, this is now when companies and, and leaders there is no more room for departmental silos, that there's no more space for the drama. This has to happen now. And the good news is, and just to bring this up, is that, you know, when, when companies get this right, employee attrition with virtual teams actually decreases by 50%. They have Inc. actually found that in a recent study that 76 people, 76, 76% of respondents said they'd be more loyal to their companies, to their employers, if they had a flexible work option. And they would experience 25% less employee turnover. And this all goes back to, of course, why we're all here today, which is sharing what we do, what we're learning, what we're seeing out there with all the global managers and supporting them and their teams to continue to become a thriving team of champions. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Keith. David? Well, we've talked about role-playing and others. Here are the three things I think I would focus in on and above and beyond what everyone has said, which is awesome. I'd go back to the cookbook, make sure that our people have a daily behavioral plan, including ourselves as leaders, because I totally agree most leaders have never been in this position before, so I think that's number one. Number two, I would make sure that we have a common sales process, not methodology, right? Love to go to Sandler, but really have a common sales process that you're coaching, training to. And I say that it sounds intuitive, but I would bet you eight out of 10 organizations, if you asked your sales force to sit in a room 
with a blank piece of paper and you said to them, write the steps that we follow from the time that we prospect to the time that we sell additional products and services to our customers, what are those steps? And you would find it all over the place. And so now we've compounded the problem that we don't know how to coach as a leader. Um, now you've got to learn 15 different languages, meaning that if somebody has this sales process, then you've got to coach to do that. And you have to coach to do this. And it's much, much harder for a sales leader. So I'd say, use the time, make sure everybody's you know, using the same sales process. This is how we're going to go do it. And then it's easier for you later to put a methodology on top of it. But short term, it's much easier for you to coach and train to. Third thing yeah. is I would use the, these four words, well, better, different, and more. And I think when you're talking to your people, and I 100% agree with Keith when you say you can't, the coaching isn't so, hey, what's, what are you doing today, right? But you certainly could say, hey, what went well? You know, what could have been better? What would you have done different? And what could we be doing more of? I think those are good conversation starters, which would be a lot better off than how's your day going? Those would be my three. Excellent. Thank you very much, David. I, I think I would just leave the listeners with, with really, uh, uh, what would I call it? An, another analogy, I suppose. I think as sales managers, if you imagine that you're a factory owner and you've been asked to close down your production line and stop your machinery, there will be those who just go home, close the door, switch the lights off and remain anxious about what the future is going to bring and essentially do nothing. But there is a second smarter option for Mr. and Mrs. Factory Owner, and that should be you. I mean, you should realize that the tide will turn. It always does. And be committed and to being prepared. Carry out essential maintenance. Stay close, very, very, very close to your team. Replace aging parts. And by that, I mean, you know, consolidate skills and process and attitude. Send regular messages of reassurance and stay also very close to your existing clients and exchange insights. But most of all, stay positive. Okay, so I'm gonna thank the panel before I tell you what's coming up next. So in alphabetical order, David, thank you very much again. Um, yeah, I'm really, really grateful that you're taking part in so many of these. It's excellent. My, my pleasure. <laughs> Sorry, David, thank you. Linda, it's been great to welcome you. And I, re I can only repeat, welcome you to your first round table. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank your you. insights, your insight, almost finished. Your insights have been absolutely invaluable. And uh, I, again, I hope you'll come and join us uh, in the future. Happy to, thank you. Okay, Lisa, the same applies to you, of course. And it's always refreshing to have new faces, particularly, you know, the pair of you with offering us such valuable words of wisdom. So thank you too, Lisa. Thank you. Keith, <laughs> I really run out of superlatives to describe what you do and what you say. Uh, but I mean, thank you again, you know, for, for giving up time. Um, and I, I know that it's, I, I said right at the front end, it must be very, very testing living in uh, New York at the moment. So thank you very, very much. Oh. Okay. Deeply my pleasure, whatever I can do to, you know, support our worldwide community during this time. Uh, I think this is when we all have to put a little more in. So, JF, thanks for always coordinating this because I know it's really helping a lot of people out there. And thank you, everyone, on this call to help uh, sharing your, your wisdom to help others. Thanks, Keith. So, what's coming up? 
what I have been impressed with is the plethora of articles, blog posts, webinars, podcasts that are circulating within the sales space, all designed to help and support each other. And we're no different. And whilst we have a, you know, a, a, a very wide collection of, um, of, of resources over at Top Sales World, and of course we've got Top Sales Magazine and we've got the Top Sales Newsletter that comes out every week. We're building at a very fast rate, the brand new Top Sales e-library, which should be available at the beginning of May. It's going to be the biggest repository of sales resources ever created online. And we're really looking forward to it. Over and above that, we're going to replace the daily video tip uh, that we circulate uh, and publicize and promote daily with a new 20 to 30 minute video. And we're gonna get all of the team to join in and hopefully deliver one per day. And that series is called, going to be called, We Will Win Through. And that's the positive message that I particularly want everyone to take away. And again, we're, we're so grateful to our generous sponsor, Sandler, for supporting us on this. So coming up next, well, it's front of mind, isn't it, for everybody? We've all been talking about it. Okay, so, you know, we're, we're, we're taking our training online. And is, is that going to be the future? Very interesting. Uh, Ten years ago, I had a conversation with a very uh, intelligent lady who developed her own huge training organization. She's now retired or certainly semi-retired. And I remember saying to her, yeah, she said, what do you think the future of uh, selling is, Jonathan? I said, I think we will go online. And she said, no, I can't see it. It's going to be blended. It's going to be some classroom, some online. And I said, I think you'll find in the future, and I can't tell you precisely when, everything is going to go online. And I spoke to her last week and I said, um, do you remember a conversation we had 10 years ago? And she said, uh, what about? And I said, talking about the future of sales training. And she said, oh, yes, yes, I remember. You told me it's all going online. I said, what do you think? She said, I think it's all going online. I said, fair enough. Maybe it won't yet. Maybe it's going to be a blend. Maybe it's going to be a mixture. But I think it's very important that we discuss the future of professional selling and, and you know, debate it and consider, you know, what's coming next for us all within the sales and marketing industry. So that will be coming up at the end of April and we'll announce the panelists very, very shortly. And if you haven't been over to Sales Futurists, then I suggest you get over there. This is a group of people, 24, so that's me and 23 good chums who are passionate about the future of professional selling. And it's a site specifically dedicated. David and Keith are part of the team. And um, we, as soon as we've got the e-library launch, we are going to further develop that. And it's, uh, we're really looking forward to it. So that's it, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us to the panel, to everyone that's listening in. And stay safe, stay healthy, but please remember, we will win through.